We have a few questions. We have a lot of questions, actually. And uh, I have uh, had to store up a whole lot of them up my sleeve for future weeks. So there you go. If yours is not answered from last week or the week before, it might be in the pipeline, and that's okay. But here are the ones from today, and uh, some of them related specifically to the topic from the last week or two, which is about the judgment of God, God's glorious judgment, and a few other things as well. First question is this. What will happen on Judgment Day for the people who never heard about Jesus? Have you ever wondered this? Have you ever had someone ask you this question? Well, uh, the Bible's pretty clear about this, I think. The first chapter of Romans says that for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, and so they have no excuse for not knowing God. That's the first thing we need to know, that God has shown enough of himself just through his creation so that everybody on Judgment Day will not be able to say, I had no idea there was a God. It's like, duh, did you look at the creation that I made? It's as obvious as the nose on my face. You have no excuse. At the same time, in the same book, in Romans, it says, Romans 10, 14, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So you see, there is a need for us to still share people the gospel, which is what we're going to be looking at today, the good news of Jesus. Because it's one thing to know enough to not have an excuse, but it's another thing to actually know what it means to be friends personally with Jesus. And that is why it's so important that we share who Jesus is everywhere. But bear this in mind. God is full of justice, and he will, he will deal fairly and justly with every single person. Question two. Should we be hungry for heaven when we know that it will be destroyed when Jesus returns? Well, when we speak of heaven, we speak of the place where God rules. Prior to Judgment Day, we know for certain that anyone who is friends with Jesus is with Christ right now. So my dear Gran and Nana, who both love the Lord Jesus and have passed away, I know for certain that they are with the Lord right now. And they're free from the effects of sin and death and the fall. They're there right now in peace with him. But there is a time when Jesus will return and there will be Judgment Day. And we read about this last week in 2 Peter 3 that said, On that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he's promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Now, when you read that, you kind of think that that everything is going to be completely destroyed and annihilated and there'll be absolutely nothing of the present in the next age. But it seems more likely that it won't be completely annihilated, that there'll be some form of continuity between the present and the future. Uh, In fact, the word that... bit technical, but the word that is translated new in our Bibles in 2 Peter 3 and also in Revelation 21 is a word that's used more for renewal than for creating from scratch. And so I think that in a sense there's some sort of continuity between the now and and the future. Uh, for example, in, uh, in Romans 8 it talks about how creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And so that sort of gives us an idea of the future. But what is heaven going to be like then? Well, we read also that, in a sense, heaven and earth will be brought together because heaven is where God rules and heaven will be on earth, the new Jerusalem. So we've got all these pictures, all these things that we've got to try and put our heads together. 
The point is that we should long for Judgment Day because we long for the day when we will have no more of the effects of the curse of this land, that we no longer have any sin, no longer have anybody who is rebelling against God, and we will be in perfection as we see Jesus return. Speaking of that, is it selfish to hope that Jesus won't return for a while because you're not ready? I tried to work out what the person was asking here. If it's you, then you can tell me afterwards if you like. But I, I, it might be that someone's saying that I'm, I'm not ready because I just don't think I'm right with God yet. See, some people will say that I just need to do a few more things. I need to, need to get rid of some sin in my life or some other stuff because I'm just scared that he'll turn up today. So it's okay that Jesus doesn't come quite yet because I've got to get my affairs in order. Well, if you're thinking that way, and yet you've already come to Jesus and said, I am sorry for the way I've lived, I, I serve you as my Lord and Master, then you don't, don't worry about those things. You're already in. You're already, you have certainty for eternity. So you don't need to wait for yourself to pick, fix your life up first before Jesus returns. It might also be, a, uh, another question might be, look, oh, I kind of don't want Jesus to come back yet because I know that he's real, I know that he'll judge, but I don't really kind of want to live the Christian lifestyle. I, I sort of want to be able to just live a reckless lifestyle. And when I'm 50 or 60 or 80 or 150 or whatever, then on my deathbed, I'll turn to Jesus and I'll have had a, it'll be best of both worlds. I'll have had a life of fun and then I'll go to Jesus and how, you know, everything's good. Well, that's stupid but for a number of reasons. Firstly, you don't know the day that you're going to die. That's just crazy. Uh, and what's more, even though it might at times think that when you follow Jesus, you've got to give up all the fun stuff, that's actually a complete lie of the devil. The Christian life is the best life by far. It'll be full of persecutions and other tough times. Don't get this wrong for a second. But the idea that it's all about, you know, well, let's, let's have fun now and then gets Jesus later, misunderstands fun and misunderstands Jesus. Well, maybe it's because, um, this person's asked this, because they, they kind of love, not so much love the world, but are just excited about the future. Now, I was thinking, what would it be like if you were, say, 15 or 16, you think, I've got a year or two left of school, and, you know, maybe I just need, I'd really like to leave school and, and drive a car and, and maybe get married and maybe do a car, you know, have a job and all these sorts of other different things. Can Jesus come back maybe in my 30s when I've been able to tick off a few things on my list? Is it selfish to think that way? Well, it's kind of understanding. I mean, God, there are many aspects of God's creation which are really nice, and I can sort of see that. Uh, for some of us in this room, as we get a little bit older, we're seeing, yeah, well, there's probably less attractive stuff in the next little while as being, you know, the, the excitement of being 15 and thinking about the future. But, but see, the point is that, again, it's a misunderstanding of what the best life is. The best life is being with Christ. The best thing in the world would be if Jesus came back before even morning tea. I know how good our coffee is, but it would be better if he returned before this song finished that we finish our service with. But maybe you don't want Jesus to return just yet because selfishly you want your friends and family and colleagues to become Christians first. Is that selfish? I don't think that's selfish. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus has waited to come back so that more people will be saved. And so that's a, I don't think that's a selfish thing. I think, in a sense, that's a loving thing. Question four. Uh, when it says that everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord, Philippians chapter 2, does this include people going to hell? Well, I think it does, actually. 
Think that Philippians 2, when it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think it's saying that all people on that day of judgment will one day say Jesus is Lord. For those of us who believe that Jesus is Lord and have followed him as our Lord, it'll be, yes, Jesus is Lord. It'll be a cheer of delight. But for those who have known that Jesus is Lord because all creation has made it clear and yet they've rebelled against him and says, I don't want you as my Lord, I want myself as my Lord, then they'll say, yes, you were right, I was wrong, Jesus is Lord. So all will confess that Jesus is Lord. Question five. What is the wealth in the parable of the talents and what do the interest and bankers mean? Well, today's talk is not on that chapter Matthew, on Matthew, Matthew 24, it, but I'll give you a couple of little things. I made reference to it last week. Um, it's about a man. It's a parable Jesus said about a man who said to his slaves, "I'll give you five bags of gold or talents, you two bags, and you one bag." And then the one with five bags made did good capitalism stuff and turned it into ten. And then the two turned into four. And then the one, well, they just buried it in the ground and told nobody about it. And the master comes back and says, "Well done. You've made my. You've invested what is good, so it's grown." Well, at least for the first two, because the last guy just buried it in the ground and hid it and acted as though he didn't have it. And God's, well, the, the master's judgment upon that third person is severe. Basically, says they're going to hell. So how does that work? What, it's, what is it all talking about? Well, question six, is the parable of the talents about our gift or about the gospel? You can kind of see where it, it might be one or the other or both. Um, I don't think it's specifically just not hearing a, a, a situation where a person receives the good news of Jesus alone because it comes like five bits to this person and two bits to this person and one bit to that person. I don't think it's just talking about that. It's certainly what it is is that a person has received from their master something that is truly valuable and the way that they treat it will be the way that they are treated. And so it seems that... The master has given different amounts of resources to his servants and said, don't waste them. Do good things with them. And I think, therefore, that it's saying that we, as we receive resources from God, gifts, talents, whatever you want to talk about them, that we will be held accountable for how we use them. But more specifically, if we act like we've not received them at all, we bury them in the ground and ignore them and ignore the one who gave them to us, then in effect they're of no value to us at all and we act as though our master is an evil and horrible master who we should be afraid of. And the result of that is that in this story, in the parable that Jesus told, that that person would be condemned by God. So don't waste your life. Make the most of your resources. Jesus is coming back soon and he loves it when we take the gospel and we do good things with it. Question seven, that's the second last one. Is Satan's role in our sin just his temptation, or can we blame him for physical events? When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he defeated Satan. Satan is now running around like a lion without any teeth, and so you don't need to be too scared of him in one sense. In another sense, we also know that in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul tells us to put on the full armour of God to protect ourselves against the devil and all his schemes. 
And so you, you, you might have read it before in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, you've got to protect yourself because he's real and you've got to be there for pe- be people who pray in the spirit. You have the sword of salvation and the, and the shield of faith and all these other things as well. So I take it that Satan does more than just tempt, that he, he actually is involved in the world in, in leading us to be people who are uh, affected in that sense. But the one who has defeated death is Jesus, and so we need not fear the devil at all. Question eight, finally. What are your top tips on how to have a thriving personal relationship with Jesus? Well, it's cliched, I think, but spend time with him. If you're going to have a personal relationship with someone, have a, spend some time with them. And how do we do that? Well, we listen to him. Yeah, you love, if, you're, if you're friends with someone you haven't seen them for a while and you want to get closer to them, you just want to say, so what's been happening? Talk to me, talk to me, tell me what's happening. That, we, we do that when we open up God's word. And I, I hope you've got a, a good little pla- a pattern in your day where you read even just the tiniest little bit of God's word. I've got an app on my phone called Version, which is great. And it tells me, Jody, this is the bit you've got to read today. And I read a little bit each day. And, and uh, it's great. You can download that for free on your devices. Or apparently these things with papers still work as well. So you might have one of those. Uh, the other thing is talking to God is really good. And we do that in prayer. Having a, a set regular time in the day when you pray and say, God, here are some things on my mind. You want me to tell you the stuff that's big for me and I think is big for the world. So here are some things I've prepared to talk to you about. But also just the chat along the way, driving the car, thinking, oh, dear Lord, help me find a car park. Or, or you know, or, or dear Lord, I, I, I pray for the coronavirus. This is, this is horrible. I just heard something on the radio and so I'm driving along in the car. So we can talk to God in that sort of way. But also, by coming here on Sunday morning, what you're doing is, is you are actually experiencing what it means to be part of the body of Christ in each other. And that is one of the great things about coming here for church. We don't come here for church so that we might tick off boxes with God. We come here to enjoy together our relationship with God. I don't know if you think about church that way, but it's such a good thing to do. And with all of this, um, realise that if you don't feel close to God... It could be for a couple of reasons. It might might be that there's a particular sin in your life that is really bugging you and you need to say to God, I've got to deal with this particular sin and I'm sorry for that. I really, really am. Please help me to put it behind me. Uh, That might be your conscience saying you've got to deal with this thing. But it might also be that you're just not feeling that same sort of spring in your step that you did when you first met Jesus. Uh, you know, if you've been married perhaps for a little while, you know, you may not have the same spring in the step you did when you had your wedding day and the honeymoon. It doesn't mean you're any less married. And, and the same is with God. And so spending time with God, hearing him in the Bible, praying to him, spending time with others and serving him is a great way to have your thriving relationship. Thank you for those questions. And I trust that they've uh, helped you as you think about what it means to be a Christian in this world. 